can have your Bible with you or you would like to use one in the back of the pew in front of you, turn with me to the great book of Romans, the New Testament book of Romans this morning. We will be in chapter 11. We will focus our attention only on verse 36, but this morning we will read for context verses 33 to 36. Romans chapter 11, we'll start reading in verse 33. While you're turning there, we are in the middle of a vision series thinking about who we are as the people of God, who we want to be as a church family. Above all else, we want to be a people of the gospel. I hope that is true for each and every person who calls this place home. The gospel is a message of movements. God moves our direction by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to make us right with him. He moves the Holy Spirit into our lives so that we can be more and more like Christ. And he moves us out into the world to proclaim this good news to other people. The gospel is a message of movement. So we are thinking about the ways in which the gospel moves us. Last week, if you weren't here, we thought about the way in which the gospel makes us think forward. Paul says, the one thing I do is I forget about the past and I press forward ahead. And and while we're there, allow me just to share with you, if you missed last week, or if you're watching this sermon online later this week, we have created a page on our website so that you can Uh, Follow along with us during this vision series. This is going to be a page that we go back to over and over again, not just during this series, but for months and years to come. Uh, It's a place where you can catch up or dig deeper in the things that we're talking about. That website is fbccj.com slash directions. And I would encourage you to go there and to find more about the directions the gospel sends us. This morning, we are going to look at the second direction the gospel sends us. When the gospel hits us, we should respond upward. With all that in mind, let us read Romans chapter 11, verses 33 to 36. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. In the documentary Free Solo, climber Alex Honnold climbs El Capitan in Yosemite National Park in California, 3,200 feet of sheer granite wall, straight up, what Alex calls the center of the climbing universe. The trick is Alex climbs El Capitan with no equipment. He is completely free. And in this documentary, he shares with the viewer the dangers, but the necessity of climbing 
this great wall. He says that everyone he knows that has made free soloing, climbing with no equipment, a big part of their life is dead now. All of his friends. So the question is, why would he keep climbing this way? He says, at one level, I'll never be content unless I try. There's an element of pride here. He wants to be able to do the impossible. But then Alex shares this. He must climb to the highest point with no equipment because, Alex says, I am going to the most beautiful places on earth. The views that he has seen, the mountain peaks and the valleys below and and God's nature, he's not a believer, to be clear, but the things that he has seen have moved him to live a certain way, in his own words, to live a certain way and take a higher risk. In the book of Romans, Paul climbs the mountaintop of the gospel. This letter is the apex, the pinnacle of the doctrine of salvation in Jesus Christ. An inch by inch, free solo, Paul climbs the power of God to salvation for all who believe, as he writes in Romans 1.16. And in our context, this passage that we're in, it ends the toughest section of the climb. Romans chapters 9 through 11 are elite climbing territory in theology. The toughest, steepest part of the climb, and maybe in the entire Bible. And in verse 36... Paul reaches the top of the mountain and sees God for who he is and sees the gospel for all of its glory, and he explodes with passion. Verse 33, oh, the depth of this gospel. Paul, as he's written this steep letter, shows us, brothers and sisters, when you encounter the most high worship ascends and arises from our souls. That's what it looks like when the gospel moves you. Brothers and sisters, when God shows us his greatness, we must respond upward with our greatest praise. You cannot climb to the top of the mountain and not be moved. Think of Moses at the burning bush. Think of Isaiah as he sees the glory of God. When you reach that pinnacle, worship must arise. This morning, we are going to climb to the peak. We're going to climb to the top and see how this good news should move us. And brothers and sisters, let me be clear. This will be unlike most sermons I preach here. Just like a climb, this is serious business. There's no time for games. There's no time for side discussions about minor points. We must focus on every inch up 
our way the mountain. And so I need you to grab your climbing gear and lock in and focus. Because just to change metaphors, I'm going to put your head under the fire hydrant at full blast for quite a bit of time. And I'm letting you know that now so that you can stick with me because at the end of our climb, when we're at the top and can see everything, then we will ask, how does this move us? But only then. So I hope you drink your water. I hope you have your utility belt and you're ready to climb. There are two sections left for us to climb. The first section, in the beginning of verse 36, is the truth of God. The truth of God. Verse 36, the first half. For from him and through him and to him are all things. Look at that sentence again. From him and through him and to him are all things. The entire universe fits in this sentence. All of scripture is here. The entire gospel is here. The entire Christian worldview and everything we could say about theology and the doctrine of God and who he is and salvation in Christ, everything you know, everything you've ever experienced is right here. From eternity past, through eternity present, to eternity future belongs the glory of God. This morning, I want to walk through these three prepositions with you, one by one, and then talk about three places we see these prepositions. The first preposition, all things are from God. What does this mean? He is the source of everything. He is the originator. He is the cause. He is the spring. He is the fountain of all things. Colossians 1.17, he is before all things. All things are through God, Paul says. What does this mean? He is the sustainer. He is the means. He is the instrument. He is the ruler and administrator. He is the executor of his own decree. The end of Colossians 1 verse 17 says... In him all things hold together. But not only are all things from God and through God, all things are to God. He is the goal of everything you've ever seen. He is the point of all creation. He is the conclusion of the story. He is the aim in which things are moving. He is the end all be all. He is the omega to the Bible's alphabet. Romans chapter 11 verse 36 is not the only place we see these truths. Get ready as we continue our climb. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 6. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we exist. 
Colossians 1 verse 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10, for it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist and bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Ephesians 4, 6, there is one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Brothers and sisters, Scripture is clear. This is our God. And where could we find this truth in reality? Everywhere. I have thought long and hard about this. There is not a single place you could bring to me that we could not find this truth. That God from him and through him and to him are all things everywhere. Bring it. But I want to give you three. They're fundamental. You can see this in creation. In creation, all things are from God. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 12. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. In creation, all things are through God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 The writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. God did not just create things and leave it. He's not the divine watchmaker that just lets the clock tick. He makes it and he holds it together. He sustains it. It is through God. In creation, all things are to him. Psalm 19 verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Brothers and sisters, this verse is actually the most important verse when we think about why the doctrine of creation matters. Why the whole conversation about creation and evolution matters. Because everything we know that has been made is from God, but it's also to God. If you take away the from, you take away the to creation. All things are from God, through God, and to God. The second place you can see this. A lot of us are good with creation. You think hard enough, we're going to begin to get in territory. Might be too steep for you to climb. Might not be ready for it. You look at history in Scripture. All of history, every event that has ever happened Every event that will happen is from God, through God, and to God. We see this in Scripture, that it is from God. It is God's plan. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11 calls it God's eternal purpose. In Acts 17, verse 26, Paul says, He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth and determined allotted periods of time and the boundaries of their dwelling place it's from God all of history is through God Isaiah 46 verse 10 God says I will accomplish I will accomplish all my purpose 
Romans 8, verse 28, we know that for all who love God, all things work together for good. All things. Joseph was able to say what you meant for evil, God meant for good through him. All of history is leading to God. That's why in Isaiah 48, verse 11, when God's talking about using a pagan king to bring his people out of exile, God says, for my own sake, to me, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Creation shows us this. History shows us this. Brothers and sisters, salvation shows us this. Our salvation, let me be clear, from beginning to end is from God. Our salvation is through God, and our salvation is to God. I could pull a thousand verses to back these up, but just to be be fully clear and and show you that I'm not just bringing cross-references up to prove a point, I'm going to read almost an entire chapter of Scripture. I told you we were going full blast. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1, almost in full, verses 3 to 14, to see how our salvation is from God, through God, and to God. I want you to listen and look very carefully to see all of these prepositions in action. How our salvation is totally of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world from him, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption, look at this, to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things through him according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Thank you. One person feels that. This is the gospel. There is no other. Salvation is from God and through God and to God. Brothers and sisters, you may think that salvation is from you and through you and to you. And if that is your view of salvation, you do not have it. 
if you have never come to the point where you understood that this is a gift of grace from God through the work of God the Son to the glory of God, you need to repent and believe this gospel. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Creation is made by him and held by him for his glory. History is planned by him and controlled by him for his glory. Salvation is authored by him and accomplished by him and applied by him for his glory. Friends, see this mountaintop God for who he is. Behold his beauty. Love his beauty. Praise his glory and his beauty. I must ask, brothers and sisters, how can we not be moved? How can this not blow us away? How can our eyes glaze over and our toes tap and our eyes look at the clock standing at the precipice of the glory of God? You may not understand all of how this works out and have lots of questions. Verse 33 to 34 tells us that this depth is unsearchable and inscrutable, that no one's truly known the mind of the Lord and all of these things. But as John Stott writes, analysis and argument must give way to adoration. Let me be clear, because we're going to start talking about worship. We're coming to your territory. Let me be clear. You look at this verse. You cannot participate in the second half until you embrace the first half. You cannot fully give God the glory he deserves until you buy in and embrace with your life what we have just talked about. But when you see this God and this gospel for what it is, you cannot stand still. You cannot be bored by this gospel. As Paul finishes out this climb to the top, we are at the last section of the climb. The last half of verse 36, we see the response to God. Look with me at the end of verse 36. To him be glory forever. Amen. Isaac Newton, in his third law, said that every action must have an equal and opposite reaction. There's no way that our reaction to God can be equal. His movement to us is unmatchable. But we can try. And we can aim with our entire life upward to give God the credit and the glory he deserves. In this verse, you see Paul give God proper praise. He says, to him be glory forever. Now, if you'll just stick with me, I only got one more real content, one more thing to teach before we start applying it. Please just stick with me here. This is really helpful. In the Bible, there's two types of glory. Two kinds of glory 
in the Bible. The first one is intrinsic glory. It's God's glory he has by his nature. He is the I am. You cannot add to that. He's infinitely holy, infinitely good, infinitely perfect, infinitely righteous, infinitely beautiful. He is holy, holy, holy. Intrinsically, you cannot do anything to that. You can't add to that. You can't take away from it. He is who he is. But what Paul's talking about here is the second kind of glory. It's ascribed glory. Ascribed glory is the glory that his creatures give back to him and offer to him in praise and in worship. It's the honor and praise we give. It's why in Psalm 29, verse 2, the psalmist writes, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. As the catechism says, what is the chief end of man? It is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is our purpose. That's why you're here. John Piper writes, you personally exist to make God look like what he really is, glorious. Why were you created to God? To offer him praise. To point other people to his beauty. Paul not only gives them proper praise, but there is a personal participation. You may think this is a throwaway word, but I want you to look back at Romans 11, verse 36, and look at the last word. 11, verse 36, Paul says, Amen. That's Paul right there. Amen. What does that mean? Amen means, may it be so. Surely this is true. Yes! And a thousand times yes. I love it. This is true. This is good. It is a strong affirmation. It is an expression of your faith. The worship service is going on in eternity. The truth of the gospel is pouring down on the people of God in Romans chapters 1 to 11 like never before. And Paul sees the glory of Jesus Christ like no human being has ever seen or understood. And all he can do is contribute to the worship service and put down those four letters, Amen. When God shows you his greatness through his word, how do you respond? I wish I could give you a mirror on Sunday morning. How often do you express praise to the most high? How passionate are you in adding your voice? Embrace the purpose of your life. Open your lips. And give him the praise he deserves. Respond upward. When the truth of God is proclaimed and his name is lifted up, do not keep your agreement, your faith to yourself. Listen, first and foremost, you are robbing God. Of the praise he deserved. You're keeping it from him because you don't want people to look at you. 
But not only that, you're robbing each other. Because somebody right now wants to jump up and say amen and praise to God, but they don't want to be the one. And there's somebody who wants to feel like they're in a family ready to praise this beautiful God, but they think they're the only ones. You just don't say it. You're not only robbing God, you're robbing each other. Participate. When I watch TV, I watch a basketball game, I participate like I am on the court. Good pass. Good shot. What are you doing? Why'd you throw that out of bounds? Great. Keep going. You got the rebound. Push it. I'm a madman watching basketball. I talk the whole game. My wife has to tell me to shut up. Some of you do that when you're watching the movie. Don't open that door. No, she didn't say that. And we participate. We go to a baseball game with one of our kids. He gets a hit. Not one of you is this quiet. But then the great God Almighty presents the truth of the gospel and the salvation he offers to you in Jesus Christ that he's going to give you eternal life to live with him forever and bring you out of this garbage and give you life with him forever and glory where there's no tears and no pain and you just listen and it's nothing. I don't care if you're Baptist. If Baptist keeps you from participating in worship, throw out Baptist. And if we need to throw that name out, then let's do it because we have a God to worship. Participate. Listen, I'm going to give you an opportunity. Maybe not everybody's here this morning, but we're going to try. And if the gospel has moved you in your life, I expect you to participate. All right? Let me just show you how this shows up in Scripture. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen? 1 Timothy 1.17. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen? Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. And Romans 11, verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Preach. Yes, sir. Amen. May it be so. Truly it is right. Listen, you can change it up and mix it up if you want to. You won't hurt my feelings. When I'm sitting in a service and a preacher says something true about God, I say, that's right. You don't have to say amen. Put your little mix on it. I don't care. But give God the glory he deserves. 
Yes, sir. All right. We're here. Climbing's over. Now let's look. What does all this mean for us? Beyond the fact that you should participate. How do we respond to this gospel? How does this shape our expectations for the people who call this church their home? I'm going to read a lot because I want you to hear exactly what I have to say about this. Our highest priority Our greatest value, our first concern is the glory of God. Mark 11, verse 29 to 30, when Jesus is asked what's the most important thing, Jesus says the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Amen? Yes, sir. Last week, I gave you two words that we're getting rid of. You can go back and watch it if you weren't here. But do you remember what the two words are we're not saying anymore? Yes, sir. Used to. But today, I'm going to give you words to say. Here is the question we must get used to asking. When a situation comes up and we disagree when we're trying to discern the will of God for this church, when we're not sure which direction to go, ask this question. Are you ready? Yes, sir. What most glorifies God? What most glorifies God? Not what do most church members vote for? What do most of us like? What are most of us used to? What does most of our community want in a church? We ask, what ascribes God the most praise? What makes him look the most beautiful? What most glorifies God? God. Psalm 115 verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Now look with, look with me at Romans chapter 11 verse 36 and think with me through this. The order of worship we have seen, the truth of God leads to the response to God. That's the order. It's the order in every letter in the New Testament. The truth and the doctrine and the theology lead to the practical and the praise of his glory. The proclaimed truth leads to proclaimed praise. The word ignites the worship. That's the pattern. That's the order. And you can do that anywhere. I won't spend any time on this, but that's the order it should be in your personal time with God. Word leads to response. 
the truth that you learn about God leads to your praise of God. You could do that anywhere, but where is the best place in your life to practice, to maximize that rhythm and order, truth leading to praise? Where's the best place for that to happen? Gathered together with the people of God, sitting under the preaching of the word of God, expository preaching that rightly divides God's word and offers you deeper insight into the character of God and presents you a personal challenge to respond in the moment, sets you up to offer God the highest praise. This is where the doctrine of God is saturated for a moment over our lives so that we can respond to him in saturated worship. I mean, not just this morning, I would say, but every morning, every Sunday that I'm up here, I am trying to throw you softballs right down the middle so that you can just swing as hard as you can with praise to God. The question is if you're going to participate in swing. Friends, do you just think about that for a minute? It totally flips the way we usually worship on its head. We think that we're supposed to praise and sing and get our hearts right and get the feeling right. And then we'll throw in a powerful sermon at the end. When really, maybe our most biblical worship is the last song. Because we have been saturated and fueled by God's truth. And only now are we ready to really respond and worship. That's why it's so sad when people in the church write off the last song as some invitation just for lost people. That's your moment. That's your opportunity to, to worship the Lord with all you got. Our maximum highest value and concern is the glory of God. Because that is true, listen, Get into my second point. Because our highest priority is the glory of God, our first commitment as a church family is corporate worship. Our number one expectation and priority is this hour together singing and praising and hearing from God. Romans 15, verse 6, as Paul applies all this truth to the church, he says, Together, see that word? Together, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When the gospel moves in our lives, we respond upward. Listen, when anyone joins this church, it is a requirement that they share their testimony of faith in Jesus Christ, their understanding of the gospel and how it's been applied to their heart and soul by Jesus Christ. So everyone who joins this church from day one says, the gospel moved me. You can't be in this church if the gospel hasn't moved you. That's requirement 101, right? Everyone here, everyone that calls this place home has said, the gospel moved me. And so listen, if that profession is true, I'm coming to you, listen, applying these things. If your testimony of faith is true, the gospel moved you, this is what you should do. Move things in your life to be present with the body. Reorganize your life. 
reorganize your priorities to be together with the people of God to give God the highest praise. If you have to quit your job that makes you work on Sunday morning, brothers and sisters, you should do it. You need to find a church where you can glorify God with the body. You need to engage with the truth while you're here and participate in the worship. Hear the word to the glory of God. Pray to the glory of God. Give to the glory of God. Sing to the glory of God. You may be asking, well, what about the other things the church does? Isn't that worship? Isn't that important? Listen, Sunday school, small groups, Bible studies, all of that. Fellowship is wonderful. Relationships are vital. We're going to talk about that next week. Serving in the church, in the ministries of the church, and, and pushing things forward is huge. Essential. We'll talk about that. Please hear me. But if you participate in these other things and head out the door without joining the ecclesia, the gathering together body of Christ, you are not giving God the highest glory. You are taking from God's gifts as you please and not giving him what he deserves. Now, a lot of people in here are are newer to our church family. Some of you have been here for a long time. Some of you watching this later on in the week have been here a long time. I want you to think about what this vision says about our church family. The days where you could hang in the fellowship hall at 1015 and drink coffee while the church family is in the sanctuary are in the rear view mirror. The days where you could serve on ministry teams in rooms tucked away from the worship service but not be trusted to show up and sing with the church family are done. The days where you can be called an inactive member are over. When you say the power of God moved in your life, We expect you to respond faithfully to that profession. Worship is our highest priority. Brothers and sisters, if you have church family, church family that you see regularly not making themselves available to worship the Lord in this hour, you need to reach out to them and call them to glorify God together. As we think forward and we respond upward, the glory of God through gathered worship is our first non-negotiable. From him and through him and to him are all things. Even now and for eternity future, angels sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Listen, we're going to sing that forever. Forever is an upward expression of worship. So what else should we be doing right now? What else should take priority over that? Psalm 145 verse 10. All your works 
shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. Let us pray.